This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We spoke a few weeks back about the need to talk post-Olympics with Sean Minton, our sports correspondent, and we will do that, in fact, today in our second segment. There's so many things to talk about. We will talk about a bunch of them. Our discussions do tend to be a little bit loose in their organization. They promise to be no exception, but nevertheless, we expect it to be as interesting as always. But let us begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 16th of August. It was on August 16th and 1780 during the American Revolution that the British, led by General Charles Cornwallis, defeated the Americans, led by General Horatio Gates, at Camden, New Jersey. And it was no better 32 years later, on August 16th in 1812, when, during the War of 1812, American General William Hull surrendered Fort Detroit and his army to the British without a fight. Hull, a 59-year-old veteran of the American Revolution, had lost hope of defending the settlement after seeing the large English and Indian force gathering outside Detroit's walls. On a happier note, in this date in 1898, American inventor Edwin Prescott patented the roller coaster. On August 16th in 1923... The American company Carnegie Steel establishes the eight-hour day for its workers instead of the previous 12-hour shift. And finally, and quite sadly, it was 35 years ago today, August 16, 1977, that the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, passed away at age 42 in Memphis, Tennessee. And Ms. McMillan, I think we should probably have a lot of Elvis for bumper music on today's show. What do you say? Well, do anything that you want to do uh, uh, Honey, lay off of my shoes And don't you step on my blue suede shoes Well, you can do anything But lay off of my blue suede shoes Our quote of the day comes from the great Ambrose Bierce, who once said, If one cannot do great work, it is worthwhile to do good work and think it great. And our corresponding quip of the day comes from the recently departed Gore Vidal, who once said, the United States was founded by the brightest people in the country, and we haven't seen them since. For our joke of the day, we have this. Jack was on his deathbed. As he lay there, he asked his wife, Honey, can you give me one last wish? Yes, dear, she said. Anything you want. Said Jack, after I die, I want you to marry Larry. Wife says, Jack... I thought you always hated Larry. Man paused a moment, looked up and said, Well, I do. All right, our stats of the day are multi-part and are as follows. Uh, There's been some... Realization that the body mass index, which is a 200-year-old comparison of height and weight, is realized currently to be faulty in its ability to assess people's obesity. 
In a recent study of 1,400 people comparing their BMI with a definitive measure of body fat percentage determined by x-ray scans, the BMI correctly predicted whether a person was obese just three-fifths of the time. The stats are that under the current estimations of BMI, it's felt that 74% of Americans are not obese. In reality, just 36% of Americans are not obese. The current BMI standard for obesity sets a threshold at 30. It's now felt to be more correctly 24 for women and 28 for men. This is pretty alarming stuff. According to current BMI guidelines, 41 million Americans are obese. But based on the new study of actually measuring body fat, it appears that actually 74 million of us fall into that category. It's a topic we're going to need to return to in the future. And without much further ado, I think we should jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to Slate.com, as repeated in The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for just a little too much honesty with the word that American swimming star Ryan Lochte admitted that he sometimes does pee in the pool. And in this, he was backed up by Carly Gere, who said that nearly 100% of elite competitive swimmers, in fact, pee in the pool. Said she, as a swimmer, you just have to accept the fact that you're swimming in pee. Of course, we would hasten to add, to mitigate the ooh factor... And when you go down to the local Fancy Pants cosmetic store to purchase agents that will make your skin softer, you will find that the active ingredient in these tends to be urea, which, yes, is in fact the main component of urine. So lest you get too preoccupied about the possibility of, quote, swimming in pee, unquote, realize that when you go to the Nordstrom's counter to buy that skin softener, you are putting a block of concentrated urine onto your skin to make it soft and pliable. The ability of urine to do this was known by the ancients. And how this discovery was actually made does appear to be lost in the dim mists of history. And we would add, conversely, that it was a bad week last week, and this certainly does dovetail with the prior item, a bad week for women hoping to snag Olympic heartthrob Ryan Lochte as a boyfriend. Because according to Today.com, the 28-year-old swimming champion's mom said her son is definitely not in the market for a long-term girlfriend. Noting he takes a girl out for one or two dates, but he's not able to commit fully to a relationship because he's always on the go. Now, Radio Parallax has our own counter-theory to this, which is that we do speculate it might be possible that Ryan Lochte has problems with women because maybe he has them join them in the jacuzzi. But we hasten to add, that's just idle speculation on our part. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for the American Council on Physical Fitness with the news that a global study has now found that the United States ranked among the most physically lazy countries in the world, with 40% of Americans engaging in little or no physical activity. Greece was found to be the most active country in the Western world, with just 15% inactive. All right, here's an item I think that is worthy of mention as regards anniversaries. It was 50 years ago this summer 
and I think this does tie in nicely with the London Olympics, that James Bond hit the silver screen. Noted The Economist, age has not wearied the dashing spy, though his hair color, accent, and taste in women, to say nothing of cocktails and tailoring, has changed over the years. The Bond films are the longest-running, and adjusting for inflation, most lucrative franchise in cinematic history. Noting that their success depends upon updating each one for its time while remaining pleasantly removed from reality. Ian Fleming's much darker novels, upon which the film character has been based, Represent a world of champagne, represented a world of champagne, fine food, and foreign travel, which was far beyond the means of most readers back in the 1950s and 60s. As such things became ordinary, the films came to feature ever glitzier frocks, outlandish sets, and whizzy gadgets. And so it is that this fall, the 23rd official Bond movie, Skyfall, will be released. Evidently, the trailer for this one features skyscapes of London, coffins draped with a Union flag, and action sequences by St. Paul's, Big Ben, and the London Tube. Go to The Economist, in the year of the London Olympics, the spy has finally come home. And we note, with some glee here on Radio Parallax, that the California Fish and Game Commission removed its president last week, months after he was criticized for killing a mountain lion in, o in Idaho. Real estate developer Dan Richards was stripped of the role of president with little discussion during a meeting in Ventura. Conservationists had clamored for his ouster after photos surfaced of him holding a slain mountain lion. Hunting the animals is banned here in California, which the California Fish and Game Commissioner would be well aware of, but so he thought he'd have to go up to Idaho to bag a big cat. But Richards, appointed by Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger back in 2008, has said he plans to remain on the five-member commission until his term expires in six months. Richards told the San Jose Mercury that he does not expect to be reappointed, and, of course, ever the diplomat, he said, I think there's a zero chance Jerry Brown will appoint me, so it doesn't matter what I think. He has his hands full with the shoplifters and other thugs in the legislature. In fact, Mr. McMillan, I think it's time that we dusted off an old feature for this program for this... Uh, Special occasion of Dan Richards being stripped of his presidency and award him the Jackass of the Week Award. And we do want to note that uh, nincompoop President Barack Obama, a week after the fact, finally got around to getting on the phone and congratulating the team down at NASA for landing the Curiosity rover on the Martian surface. President told the NASA team, if in fact you do make contact with Martians, please let me know right away. I've got a lot of things on my plate, but I expect that that will go to the top of the list. Even if they're just microbes, it will be pretty exciting. The president was apparently especially impressed by Bobak Ferdowski, the Mohawk guy whose star-spangled haircut <laughs> won internet fame during the coverage of the Curiosity's landing. We do hope that if the president gets a second term, he will rethink his budget cuts of NASA. Of course, when I say a thing like that, that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Anyway, it goes without saying that we're uh, big fans of the Sacramento News and Review. 
Our good pal Cosmo Garvin over at the SNNR is apparently stepping down, at least for a while. We don't know what the story is, but we'll try and uh, bring him on the show, hopefully, to, to, to talk about it personally. One to note, too, that after going to a medical conference uh, down in Southern California a couple of weeks ago, I was impressed by Jeff Von Kainel's editorial about the new miracle drug out there, which can do so much for mankind, called fruits and vegetables which, in the grand scheme of things, is actually pretty darn accurate from a medical standpoint. But uh, over the past uh, couple of months, there were several guest commentaries that sort of caught my eye from the News and Review. Personally, I would refer to these, uh, these trio as the good, the bad, and the ugly of guest commentaries. We label the good as the piece by Robert Austin. On let's see, how do we describe this? Well, I guess bagged up, Dog do would would suffice," said Mr. Austin. Sacramento abounds with dog owners, good folks who walk their pets almost every day. As responsible owners, most carry with them plastic bags to collect any poop the dog emits along the way. All is good so far. It's what happens next that annoys me. Dog owners fling bags of dog poop or poo bags on the first pile of curbside green waste they locate. Poo bags adorn green waste piles as ornaments adorn Christmas trees. I saw one pile with nearly 30. A green waste pile can be of any size to attract poo bags. Two twigs and a leaf are generally sufficient, although a single small pine cone apparently can qualify. This wouldn't be so bad, except the city of Sacramento's schedule for pickup of curbside green waste is, at best, undependable. The stuff can languish in the street for weeks. Green waste in the street is not attractive under any circumstances, but when decorated with poo bags, it dramatically degrades the appearance of the neighborhood. And worse yet, they stink. Mr. Austin closed with, I'm calling for a populist uprising against poo bags. Not since 1776 has there been a greater need for a revolution. Let voices ring forth from every rooftop, from every pulpit, and from every street corner, calling for freedom from the tyranny of poo bags. Who will come forward to join this noble cause? Well, Mr. Austin, we will. We would suggest that you carry your poo bag back home with you and put it on your own leaf pile or garbage can or backyard. You can compost these things, you know. In fact, I'd go so far to say is, well, I'd go so far as to say you should compost these things. By God, we've been meaning to bring in our fellow, uh, our fellow KDVSers hosting, hosting the local dirt program to talk about composting, and we just never seem to get around to it. But inspired by Mr. Austin's call to action, we're going to have to shift that into a higher gear. All right, in our opinion, that was the good. Let's talk about the bad. This one came from a Ph.D. candidate in English at UC Davis, whose name I think I won't mention, but I think I'll quote from it. With the 2012 California State Fair underway, let's remember the pregnant cow who escaped the livestock nursery in 2010 and was shot and killed. Despite this tragedy and the ensuing public outcry, the live birthing exhibit continues, one of only a handful across the country. Most other state fairs have recognized that animals, like humans, prefer to give birth in privacy. And the crowds, close quarters, and unfamiliar surroundings compound an already stressful event. Transporting pregnant animals is also roundly criticized as uncomfortable and traumatic. 
The Livestock Nursery at the fair is run by students and faculty from UC Davis's School of Veterinary Medicine, and I believe them to be well-intentioned and to genuinely care about the animals, but I don't believe they are serving the animals' best interests. Well, maybe not, but the state fair isn't put on for animals, it's put on for people. And yes, it might be a little stressful to give birth in in close quarters, but the natural process, which used to be familiar when people tended to live on farms, is something that I think the public should get a chance to see. So we think this one's all wet. Of course, we will take the time to repeat from the article the following, which notes that before visiting or donating to an animal sanctuary, check to see that it is accredited by the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries at www.sanctuaryfederation.org. We suppose that couldn't hurt. And finally, a guest editorial that we have to describe as coming from the ugly category. This is from John Mass, a veterinarian and faculty member at the UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine. He is the California Cooperative Extension Veterinarian for Beef Cattle. To quote from this piece, I read the article, Dead Meat, by Terry J. Allen. That's from the SNNR's Green Days, July 19th, with great concern. Allen made many unsupported statements about antibiotics use in livestock production. And as an expert in veterinary medicine and nutrition, I'd like to offer a more fact-based response. We use antibiotics in livestock to treat and prevent diseases, and we do so because we don't want the animals to suffer. Antibiotics in feed help prevent minor diseases in animals, and this has the added effect of increased growth. We have talked about this many times on the program, and the fact of the matter is, and I would hasten to add I am not a member of the UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine, or a doctor of veterinary medicine, or an expert in animal nutrition, but as a medical doctor, we've noted on this program many times in the past, we think it's a national scandal that antibiotics are routinely fed to animals in feedlots. This is done in part to prevent diseases and to treat diseases, but mainly because for reasons that are imperfectly understood, antibiotics increase growth. In other words, you spend so many dollars for antibiotics, you just routinely, as a matter of course, put it in the animal's feed, and you get more animal meat out of it. Noted Dr. Mass, resistance to antibiotics is not widely seen in livestock, so the chance of such resistance developing in humans because of livestock antibiotic use is unlikely. Well, we'd have to ask the question, how unlikely? Based upon the principles of evolutionary biology and uh, bacteriology would say it's not unlikely, but it is in fact a certainty that resistance will be bred in these animals and has been bred in these animals and has in some cases been documented to cause human disease. Antibiotics are used primarily as growth factors and we will, I promise you, return to this subject in the future. All right, and it is a great thing that in this country we can have freedom to express different ideas. Well, we think so. And we're grateful for the fact that on community-based radio stations such as this one, you can find a variety of opinions. We think that's why you tune in. At any rate, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and let's come back and talk a little bit about the Olympics. Jailbird, sing, let it rock. Everybody, let it rock. 
Everybody 